Hey everybody, Leah Slaughter. I hope you are doing well. I have a fantastic class schedule. I know I say this every time, but we really do over the next couple of months. And we're gonna be hitting some unique topics we've never discussed before. And then we're gonna go back and revisit some of the ones we've done before and update that data and give a little bit of a different look at some of these investment models. So today, what we're gonna talk about is sub two. And you probably, maybe you know what this is, but odds are you probably don't. I had a couple, even of my employees on the property management side come up to me today and say, well, what is sub two? So we're gonna kind of break it down to basics, talk about what it is. And then as always, I'll give you my personal opinion on what I think of sub two. So April 13th, this is gonna be a great one. I'm excited to do this one. It's really a way that we've never looked at investing and it's why to start investing in your golden years. A lot of our clients, if I had to guess, maybe 30, 40% didn't start investing until they were at retirement age. And one of the first things that I get asked is, am I too old to do this? And my answer is no, of course. And I'm gonna tell you why. I'm gonna tell you why there's a great argument to be made for if you're at retirement age, why you should start investing now, because it's better than not investing at all in real estate. And so we're gonna look at that. We're gonna look at some of the numbers. We're gonna talk about the differences in different investment strategies in your retirement years, from 401ks to all the different things that people look at, stocks, bonds, and talk about the benefits of real estate and also the security and safety with consistency that real estate offers, especially important when you're living on a fixed income on retirement. So as always, you can go to our website, you click on media and you can see different classes and different events and things that we've done and recorded and it's constantly up to date. Or you can always go over to Facebook, click events as you'll see over here and then on the right, it'll pop up all the different upcoming events. And then you can also see the list of past events that we have done this year. This is a great way to keep track of what classes we have upcoming. And then we are going to go ahead and have our first quarterly mixer since COVID. That will be the end of next month. So keep an eye out for your invitation to that. As always, that's at my personal home and it's a great way to mix and mingle with other investors and like-minded real estate professionals. For more information on what we offer and our class schedule, event schedule, et cetera, you can find us on Twitter, Facebook, Instagram, or YouTube. Before I get started on content, as always, everything I'm gonna talk about today is my best guess and opinion based on years of experience in operating a real estate firm and investment property. I don't have a crystal ball and I'm not an attorney. I'm gonna do my best to guide you and then we are one tool in your toolbox. We will refer you and connect you with others in your life who can help you on your investment journey. And of course, we are always here if you have questions along the way. If it's something that we can't answer, we will always connect you with someone who we believe can. So let's talk about sub two. Sub two literally means subject to. And what this means is you are purchasing a property subject to the existing loan. So let's say that you meet John Doe and John Doe has a property that has a loan on it. And this property may be worth 150,000 and he has a loan for 120,000. He can choose to let you take over payments on that property the loan remains in his name, but the property is deeded over to you. And then you continue making those monthly payments on the seller's loan. This is not an assumable loan. So some of you have potentially heard about assumable loans. That's generally for owner-occupied properties. 
Uh, perhaps there's some type of backed mortgage that can be assumed by someone else. That is actually the transfer of that debt to someone else. This is where the debt actually stays with the old owner and you merely pick up making the payments and the property becomes your property. Now, there's a lot of things to consider when we look at sub two. And one of the things that we want to look at is how it works. Another thing we wanna look at are the risks. So I'm gonna look at the pros and the cons, but then we also wanna talk about just how it works logistically. So when we look at a sub two contract, there's no promulgated form. You guys hear me use that word a lot. And in Texas, we try to use as much as possible promulgated state forms. And what that means is a fancy term for fill in the blank. And so as agents, when we work with contracts, generally we're provided a form, it's in black text, and then there's blanks that are filled in and we can fill those in with terms and answers to specific items on a contract. We don't have that type of setup for sub two. And so most people, myself included, if I were to do a sub two transaction, my attorney would draft whatever paperwork I'm using. Of course, you can Google and find places that have examples of ones that you can use, but I'm a big believer in making sure that someone who has your best interest at heart is reviewing the terms of those contracts. I see this a lot with individual landlords who write their own leases or back in the day when you could go to Office Depot and buy a CD-ROM of a contract that you could use. It's just never as weighted and it's something that you want to make sure you understand all the terms in there. Now, if you're an attorney or you've done it before and you've got a contract you like, great, go ahead, do whatever makes you happy. But my recommendation is that you work through an attorney if you're going to do a sub two transaction in terms of the paperwork. Now, there's a lot of pros to sub two. Number one, you don't have to go get a loan. There's no underwriting, there's no loan fees, there's no closing fees. You don't have any of those things because the loan is staying with the old owner. There's no debt in your name. The property will be deeded to you, but the debt remains with the old owner. You can close quickly. Often people who are in a situation where they want to do sub two financing, they want it done quickly. A common situation where we see a sub two is where there's an estate, someone has died, there's not significant equity in the property. And so their cost to sale would eat up whatever equity is there and they just want it gone. And so they may do a sub two type situation. Often you can get in with limited to no money out of pocket. Many of the people that start out in real estate that don't have the knowledge and perhaps the understanding of all the different options or can't qualify, they will go out and try to find sub two property. I can tell you I've been doing this for, this will be my 16th year and I have never purchased a sub two property. And there's a lot of reasons why and I'm gonna cover some of those. Number one, they're hard to understand. Most people don't really understand the process well. And what happens is sometimes the sellers will come back after the fact, and it's just a very uncomfortable situation, right? Because that loan remains in the other person's name, and you are now having to oversee that loan, pay that loan, make sure you have access to that loan. For someone like me, who's very dot your I's and cross your T's type A sub two is not a great fit. There's also the risk of the due on sale clause or the note being called due. And I'm gonna do a whole separate kind of overview of the due on sale clause here in a moment. 
If you don't pay, you could be liable as if it was in your name by the seller suing. There's actually been a lot of cases and situations where the person who assumes, or not assumes, but takes over that loan, starts making the payments, and then they don't pay, and the original owner who had the loan in their name goes back and sues them based on the contract of sale. So something to keep in mind, don't expect that you can do the sub two and then walk away scot-free. Just because the loan's not in your name doesn't mean that someone can't come after you. Now, let's talk about how to evaluate a sub two deal, because one of the things that I see is that often the numbers are not great on them. You'll have a little bit of cash flow, but if someone has a ton of equity in a property, typically they're not gonna sub two, they're gonna sell it. Sub twos, I would say, are much more uncommon than any other traditional form of purchase power. So number one, you wanna make sure that you're looking at cash flow, because that's really important. At the end of the day, if we're replacing income, we're trying to get rid of a W-2 job, we're trying to get into passive retirement, the way that we do that is cash flow. Number two, you wanna make sure you're buying in an area that has potential appreciation. All the same factors are at play here. We wanna make sure we've got cash flow, good location, potential appreciation, good condition, all the things we talk about. Location is key. A lot of properties that are sub two, back in the day before the market went so crazy, often they were in harder to sell areas, inner cities, high crime areas. So make sure you evaluate the area where this property is. You want to make sure you evaluate the condition because remember you're now the owner of this property you're now responsible for it and then finally the risk you want to understand the risks associated with that specific sub two transaction what type of loan is it in was it in arrears is it already on the lender's radar and again goes back to all the other pieces that you're looking at so a lot of people use sub two for two reasons one to get into a property with very little money or two, to get into a property where maybe the numbers don't work with traditional financing, but they can work on a sub two because you're not bringing the money down. So that's really all the different pieces that I would look at if evaluating a sub two property. Now let's talk about the due on sale clause. And this is really important because I have this conversation with people a lot. Let's say you buy a property in your personal name and three months later you decide you want it in your LLC's name. People will then just transfer the property to the LLC and consider it done. Consider the LLC as the owner, no big deal, move on. The problem with that, there's a lot of problems with that, and we talk about the title insurance concerns, the insurance concerns, but at the end of the day, the due on sale clause is one of the most common concerns. The due on sale clause started in the 80s, and that's because rates were through the roof. It wasn't uncommon to see interest rates at 13 to 15%. And so buyers during that decade were actually assuming people's loans at the lower interest rates that were locked previously instead of going and getting new financing. So banks created this due on sale clause to keep buyers from being able to go absorb low interest rate loans. So that's the history of the due on sale clause. Essentially what it does is it says that if the property transfers title, if ownership changes, if it's deeded to someone new, that the loan can be called due. So this is why it's a similar trigger when we're talking about this type of sub two property as it is when you transfer the ownership of a property. So one thing to keep in mind right now is that rates are super low. They're almost negative interest. Now they're starting to creep up, but generally you can borrow money to go buy something for less than what you're gonna make on what you're buying. So we consider that a negative interest rate. So while these rates are so low, banks probably prefer the existing loan on the property. You know, someone who's sub a property probably didn't just refinance it to a 2.8%. So if the rate is good enough, it's probably not gonna be on that lender's radar. But keep in mind that all the lender has to do is find out what happened, and there's a lot of ways that that can happen. And then that loan can be called due in full. 
And because it's your property and that loan is attached to that property, now that becomes your problem. So say that you've got an $80,000 loan that you are now paying the payments on on this property. They could come to you or come to the original owner and say this $80,000 is now due. So for people that aren't cash heavy, people that don't have the ability to risk that, sub two is a very dangerous play. And the problem is sub two really lends itself to those that don't have money, that don't have the ability nor the knowledge. And so that's where the red flag of sub two really comes in because you're taking a process that is designed to go to people that don't have the money to do traditional purchases or the money to do rehabs and all those things, but they're buying properties that are the highest risk, generally poor condition. And so it's really in a way, a very dangerous situation. So just keep that in mind. Couple extra thoughts. What happens if the property that you have sub now that you now have and you were paying the payments on, what happens if that original owner goes into bankruptcy? because every note on their credit is gonna get tied into that bankruptcy. Or what happens if they die and that note gets handled as part of the trust or estate? Now, another thing is the mortgage company requires that the insurance on the property name the person who is in the loan. So if John Doe is the person who has the loan on the property and you are Leah Slaughter, you're not gonna be able to insure your name without insuring their name. So insurance can be a little complicated. And then finally, if there ever is an issue and you need to speak with that bank, you're not authorized on that loan. So you must make sure as part of a sub two transaction that you have authorization to speak with the buyer's bank because odds are you're never gonna be able to get them to help you call them in the future. Now, maybe you can because they want things taken care of and they wanna protect their strong credit. But again, think about the type of client we're typically dealing with here who's needing to liquidate a property. And do you really wanna be beholden to having to get them on the phone in the future if you need to discuss that loan? Otherwise, you can't get payoffs if you sell the property. You can't talk to the lender about payments or escrow accounts or anything like that. And so it can be a very dangerous situation. Any questions, go ahead and submit those now and I will answer those for you. But in a nutshell, that's what a sub two transaction is. So as I mentioned, I've never done one before. I, I know people who do them and they've had good success with them, but they've also you know, had ones that become a problem and difficult sellers and that type of thing. So for me, it's not our model. It's not something that you're really gonna see us offer or market or anything like that. But it is something that's common in the marketplace, at least common enough that I wanted to take time to address it because I have had some of you reach out and see these in the investment groups and things and not really understand what it is. So something to keep in mind for sure. And you know, as with any investment strategy, you want to make sure that it's a fit for you and not every strategy is a fit for everybody. And you just have to make sure that you do something that you're comfortable with and that you understand the risks. You know, all of us make risky investments. Sometimes we'll go into an investment and it's not something that I would ever put a client in, but for me, it's fantastic. The numbers are great. And, you know, it's just one of those things. And so as with any other form of it, make sure you do your research, contact those who you trust to guide you and advise you. Make sure you talk to your CPA about, you know, the different things and, then from there you can make the decision about what's best for you and what makes the most sense. So let's take a look at the questions here. So, okay, how is sub two different than wraparound deed of trust or an inclusive deed of trust? 
wrap is basically a type of sub two. Um, the, the loan gets wrapped into a new loan, which is basically given by the seller. So it, it's just a different kind of way of doing a sub two, but they're almost an identical thing. Typically what happens is you're gonna have a contract for sale and there's gonna be a deed that transfers it. So two separate forms. And then of course you want to include that third party authorization as part of that requirement. And I would always include in there that if you need them to talk to the bank in the future, they can without telling the bank exactly what's transpired. Let's see, what percent of properties are available as sub twos in the market? Um, I would say less than 1%. I see them very rarely now. The market's too good, numbers are too high. In a downed market or a crashed market, you're gonna see them a lot more commonly than you would right now. It's kind of the same reason we don't have foreclosures right now. You know, everyone has equity in their properties, values are skyrocketing, so there's really no benefit to leave equity on the table. Could you use sub two to get title quickly and refinance when it makes sense? Um, you could, you could do that and then do a loan later and, and you know, handle that process, but you've got to make sure that the lender is comfortable with it and that the title company is comfortable with it as well. Um, I think that is all the questions for today. I've got a couple questions about uh, scheduling calls and all of that. Yes, if you want to discuss this further, you can always give me a call or you can use the calendar link to schedule to discuss you know, anything we talk about. But all my contact information is here. As always, we appreciate everybody and you attending these classes. This one's a short and sweet one. The one that's uh, upcoming is going to be a whole lot longer. I would recommend if you're going to attend or why to invest in the later years, probably put aside an hour to an hour and a half because I assume we're gonna have a lot of questions and I've got a lot of statistics and things we're gonna be going over. So that will be one of our longer classes. But as always, we'll send you the link after the fact. You can come watch it later. And many of our clients do watch, especially the, the number heavy classes multiple times. And so you can go back and do that later as well. Otherwise, I hope everybody has a fantastic rest of your week and I'll look forward to seeing you again in a couple of weeks. Take care.